1: I've got some great travelogue stuff coming up here a little bit later in the show. Pictures! Well, maybe I'll post some pictures in the show notes. Today, though, I have Eric Peters from epautos.com back for our weekly chat. Eric, how are you today?
0: I'm good. I'm geofencing my uh, oasis of sanity out here in the, (laughs) the woods of southwest Virginia.
1: Everybody needs a fortress
0: of solitude in these times, don't they? This is true. I know. Superman had to go to Antarctica. I mean, I'm lucky that I can still go to the Blue Ridge.
1: Well, I've actually been a little bit out of the loop for a day or two just because I've been traveling and had my attention elsewhere. Um, you were mentioning before we went on the air that uh, there was kind of a, a notable protest that took place in New York City. Tell us about yep. that.
0: Yeah, apparently, according to the news reports I've seen, something on the order of fifty to 70,000 New Yorkers have shut down the Brooklyn Bridge, which is a major thoroughfare to get into and out of the city. Uh, over the vaccine uh, mandates and the vaccine passports, there's a lot of resistance, not just in New York but all over the country to this, and it's percolating upward now so violently that even the corporate press uh, is having a great, dif- a great difficult time trying to suppress it. So, uh, I you know I like to I like to talk about this stuff because I think we all need some reason to feel optimistic about the state of affairs in this country, and and that's something to feel good about.
1: Interesting. Well, um, you know. If there if there was a time to make a stand, I think this is that time. Um, I, I was seeing some news that uh, uh, Dan Bongino, who apparently is kind of mm-hmm. the heir apparent for for Rush Limbaugh, um, yeah, he,
0: Cumulus Media, he works for that major major media conglomerate.
1: I I understand as of yesterday, he was off the air because he was refusing to take the vaccine, and I, I don't know if this is I maybe they just maybe he was on vacation and they were doing a rerun, but uh, he threw down the gauntlet and said. I'm not going to take this vax. And they said, well, anybody well, who's on the air with us has to be vaccinated.
0: Well, good for him. And you know what? Who cares if he, if he ends up having to part ways with Cumulus? Uh, look at what Joe Rogan has done. On his own, he has created a podcast that has literally 10 times the audience of CNN. Wow. So, you know, if, if I knew Bonjingo, I would call him up and counsel him to consider pursuing the same. His, his followers, the people who enjoy his show, they'll go wherever he goes. You know, if he's off the cumulus airwaves, he'll be able to uh, find his own airwaves. And I think that's what we're all going to have to do, you know, as this thing elaborates. We're just going to have to create our own parallel sanity uh, against this insanity that is being forced down our throats. It's just not something that can be bargained with. It's not something that be, can be compromised with. We have to say no firmly and refuse to have anything to do with it.
1: You have a wonderful article that just, just was published earlier today about uh, negotiating the, the, the price or haggling over the price. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about this article.
0: Well, you know the old joke, right? Uh, Supposedly this is attributed to Winston Churchill, who uh, in one of his uh, drunken rampages approached a woman and uh, uh, asked whether she would sleep with him in return for a large sum of money, and she agreed to this. And then he said, well, how about, and he offered a much lower sum of money, whereupon the woman replied, what sort of woman do you take me for? And he said, well, we've established that. Now we're just haggling over the price. (laughs) <laughs> the yep. point being that she had no principles, that it was just about uh, how much it would cost to compromise her principles. And I used that to kind of segue into this business of the masks and the jabs. I've been arguing now for the past two years that people who put up with that mask, who said, that's ah, no big deal, I'll just wear the mask, were already saying yes to the jab. You and I were talking about this more than a year and a half ago when all yeah. this stuff started. And and you know people would think or would accuse me of being overwrought, hysterical. Uh, the no, no, it's it's not that big a deal. It'll never happen. And now it's happening. And because of the principle, once you once you give in to something, uh, if you accept something that is a violation of a principle, uh, that that's the the more violations are going to be visited upon you. It's inevitable because you can't you've lost the ground to stand on when you've already agreed to the thing in principle.
1: Yeah. Well, I and and hopefully people understand this or are starting to understand this. Um, I I was surrounded by masked people as I was traveling over the weekend. I you know I traveled by air, and um, I was expecting the worst, Eric. I really thought that uh, you know oh my goodness you know this is going to be the um, the basically the masked Nazis. I was very happy to find that the airline personnel and and most of the passengers I was around were really pretty chill about it. Nobody was scolding mm-hmm. anybody, but. It was so Orwellian in both of the airports that I was in, and these were major city airports. Uh, over and over, these voices keep you know coming on the intercom and talking about it uh, is uh, you know a TSA mandate says that everyone must wear this face covering, and it <coughs> was I swear it was every sure. every two minutes just hammering at you.
0: Well, they have the same thing at Lowe's and Home Depot in my area, even though they don't enforce it. They have that that soundtrack recording that please maintain social distance. And wear a mask unless you have a you know medical exemption or some such other thing they 're trying to program everybody repeatedly. Uh, you know it will not end until we end it and say enough and i 've been saying that for two years and i i 'm glad that finally belatedly, more and more people are also summoning the courage to say it 's enough and I think part of the reason for that is that a jab unlike a mask isn 't something you can take off once they inject you with that it 's in your body, and how do you get rid of that? And it's becoming extremely difficult, even for the corporate press, to suppress the truth that lots of people, we're talking about tens of thousands of people minimally, have been harmed by these vaccines, and specifically young people, and even more specifically young males who seem to be especially vulnerable to this heart inflammation uh, that is being caused by these vaccines. And, you know, it's one thing to say, all right, I'm going to put this mask on to go shop. In the store and get my stuff, and when I come out, I'll be able to take the mask off, and it sucks, but I'll do it because I've got my food. It's another thing to roll up your sleeve and subject your health uh, to a risk, and it's it's another thing beyond that to subject your child to a risk that could prove a life-ending or life-crippling event.
1: Well, I'm I'm very hopeful when I hear that tens of thousands of people shut down, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Um, that, that to me, sounds like there are some cracks beginning to appear in that united front of we must all do this and we're all in this together.
0: Well, and also further cracks. We saw, and they tried to suppress this, uh, the, the mass walkout by Southwest Airlines people that happened about a week or so ago, and they tried to characterize that as... Uh, some random event due to glitches in the electronic system of the flight direction systems or because of the bad weather, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that. It was a mass walkout of people who work for Southwest making it impossible for them to do business. And South Southwest management had to walk back their previously ironclad mandate with no exemptions that you will get the jab. Now they've allowed exemptions. And then, you know while that's not perfect, it is a step in the right direction. The same thing with Delta Airlines. Uh, and, and then there are whole states like Florida, where DeSantis has actually put out a five thousand uh, dollar bonus for any cop who got fired in another state for refusing to roll up his sleeve if they want to come to Florida and be a cop in Florida.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think we're we're starting. I'm going in the in, in a later part of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit about the word hero and how it's been co opted. Mm-hmm. But I think the heroes that uh, that we really should be focusing on today are probably the ones who are ready to give up their livelihood. To be true to principle that's that's rare no
0: no question you know a hero uh, is often not the popular guy. A hero is the one who takes the uh, the stand that isn't uh, adulated at first, but down the road uh, is appreciated for the courage that it took to take that stand uh, it's awfully courageous uh, to say hide um, a Jewish kid in your closet in Germany in the thirties, though that person would have been characterized by the authorities and the mainstream in the Germany of that time as an awful near-do-well, as an enemy of the greater German Reich. Just like today, anybody who says anything at all in contradiction to Pope Fauci is considered a menace to society, when in fact they are the heroes, because they are putting their necks on the chopping block, taking risks with their jobs, taking risks with their social standing, and all of the rest of it for the sake of truth. And there's nothing more important than that. If we lose if we lose sight of the truth, if we're no longer willing to defend the truth, then all is lost.
1: No, I, I hear you. We're, we're we're coming up on break here in about a minute, but I, I wanted to just <clears throat> briefly ask you, Fauci is undergoing <clears throat> some pretty good scrutiny right now, particularly in regards yep. to funding of the research at Wuhan Labs. Any thoughts yep. that maybe he is vulnerable?
0: Yeah, I think he's politically vulnerable. I, in my sense of it is that he's become a liability, uh, you know, despite... The effort to deify this guy, and and you know, to to, to be to be uh, fair about it, it was successful for quite some time. He has become something less than savory at this point. He doesn't present well. He comes across uh, as as a tyrant, as an authoritarian. And it's starting to wear really thin. I think people are getting tired of him. And, you know, the Biden people, they're engaging in a political calculation. It's not that they're motivated by, by good intentions. They're looking at it and thinking, you know, is this guy helping us or hurting us politically? And Biden's ratings are in the toilet, even oh, yeah. among Democrats. And I think it, it, as a result of that, it may be necessary to throw Fauci under the bus.
1: Okay, well, if they feed him into the sausage grinder, I'm not going to cry too hard, but... Me neither. <laughs> neither will I think we're out of the woods. we got to take a quick break. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. You really should check out his website, read the articles, pay attention to the comments, too. Some really smart folks like to read and comment, and it's, it's very civilized, something you don't find in other places. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, in the first segment, you mentioned a term that uh, I have to admit I'm not familiar with, geofencing. Mm -hmm. What, uh, What on earth is that? Well,
0: it's the latest uh, elaboration of all of this nannying technology, this Orwellian controlling technology that they're putting into vehicles, and, of course, marketing it as assistance and various other things that sound positive, but they're far from. Geofencing means kind of like what it sounds like. It, It uses electronics to limit where a car can be driven and how it can be driven. A number of cars already have this, and it's being marketed as a Uh, an assist for parents who want to make sure that their teenage driver doesn't drive where they don't want them to drive, outside of a certain radius, for example, um, or uh, don't want them to drive over a certain speed, or simply just want to know what they're up to in terms of how fast they're driving, where they're driving, whether the radio is up loud, all of these things. And I guess you can make a case uh, for a parent wanting to know that about their teenager, but... (laughs) It's an entirely different thing when the government is assuming the role of our parent and, and treating us as if we were children and uh, supposed to be under their thrall for the rest of our lives, and that's what we're talking about here.
1: I completely agree. Now, uh, work with me on this one. Why is it so many people, um, why, why do they put up with the idea that uh, that it's okay to be treated like a child long into their adulthood?
0: You know I, I think it's it's generations now of conditioning i've observed this phenomenon for my entire journalistic career It's safetyism uh, you know I call it the safety cult this this uh, this obsession with risk aversion that's another way to put it. Uh, the idea that all you have to do to get somebody to submit to something is say if it saves even one life, you know if it 's dangerous, this obsession with precluding all risks has many uh, manifestations, you know, we're seeing it now with the stuff that's going on with the Rona, somebody might be sick. So everybody's got to wear a mask. Everybody's got to get jabbed, all this stuff. Uh, it just pops out everywhere because the culture and the society bought into this idea that a hypothetical risk is synonymous with an actual harm. And once you accept that, uh, you know, you, 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 there's no, there's no limit to accepting whatever they tell you, you
1: have to accept in the name of safety, Right. Right. Well it's and and it doesn't usually come all at once you know this is the this is the camel's nose coming under the door of the tent um it, it seems to take place incrementally but once it's there it sure seems like this attitude and that that overreach on the part of government is very hard to dislodge
0: well it's kind of like the woke thing you know the the left people uh, have talked since the 60s about the long march through the institutions i'm sure you've heard that term mhm and what they, what they mean by that is infiltrating schools, infiltrating the government, infiltrating corporations, and gradually, piece by piece, putting their ideology into places uh, that are critically important in terms of converting the, the general public to their point of view. It takes a long time for that to happen. And that's what's happened with this safetyism thing. And it's been turned into a quasi-religious virtue to venerate safety you know that's they say it. I mean it's almost like a like like a call to prayer in Mecca, safety, and everybody goes Ugh, uh, <laughs> you know and 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 you know the, one of the one of the reasons it's so effective is because the the corollary to it is that if you object to it that somehow you're a dangerous and reckless person, as opposed to a person who weighs risks against rewards and makes a prudent decision. you know, life is inherently risky. getting out of bed has an element of risk. getting in a car and going to work has an element of risk. Going for a jog has an element of risk. Life is full of risks, but we all make these calculations based on the facts and based on, well, is it more likely to turn out good or bad, right? But when you, when you obsess about everything turning out badly, unless you do nothing or you, know, you do some crazy thing to avoid this, this attenuated hypothetical risk, you become a paralytic. You become a person who is incapable of acting and who is incapable of taking judicious risks to get a worthwhile reward.
1: You know, I remember years ago getting after one of my kids for doing something. They, they had—I don't know—they went to fix themselves dinner, and uh, maybe they wanted to make a grilled cheese, and they accidentally started a, a hot pad on fire. You know, a, mm-hmm. on, on the stove, they they just weren't paying yep. attention, and I was so mad at him. And my wife pulled me aside, and she said, "I know you want the kids, you know, to to know what they're doing, but she says you also need to understand, you don't want kids who who ask permission." For everything they do, mm-hmm. you don't want kids who sit That's there right. with an empty cereal bowl in front of them and cry. I don't know what to eat. And I, right, I, exactly. I thought she, she's right, and I know there's a balance to be struck there. I was pretty upset about the, you know, the the hot pad getting getting, uh, you know, set on fire. But, but I, but I want to be, I want to see my kids be self actualized human beings. And this applies to adults. You treat adults like they're infants. Don't be surprised yep. if you get a society that acts like infants.
0: Well, absolutely, and that is why. To get back to the car thing, I rail constantly against all of this safety assistance technology because it inculcates passivity in drivers. You know, they come to depend on the car to take action for them rather than opening their eyes, looking around them, judging the situation, and acting according to it. Instead, they just sort of sit there and expect the car to do something for them. And it's, you know, to me, that is it's a horribly depressing thing on an emotional and psychological level, but ultimately it is a dangerous thing for a culture that buys into that because it leads to completely helpless, dependent people who are looking to be told what to do and there's always somebody who's looking to tell people what
1: to do. I'm, I'm looking at another article that you had published about uh, your driver's safety score and there's a distinction you make here about how mm-hmm. uh, you know insurance companies try to bribe people, hey, if you'll just hook up this thing mm-hmm. that monitors your driving, you could pay less for your insurance and, and it's right. the assumption that you're a safer driver. You point out, though, there's a difference between being a safer driver and being an obedient driver. Could you elaborate on that?
0: Absolutely. They they will style this as being about safety. Again, we get back to safetyism, but what does that mean? How do you define that? And these insurance companies that want to put in a little electronic narky-narky in your car to keep track of what you're doing behind the wheel, they define safety as obedience to traffic laws, all traffic laws, no matter how arbitrary, no matter how situationally foolish, If you ever go faster than the speed limit, why, you're speeding and you're dangerous. If you accelerate more aggressively, as they put it, than they think prudent, then that, too, winds up being used as a mechanism to dun you. But you know what? Sometimes it's safe to accelerate rapidly. You know, you see a car bearing down on you at high speed. If you sit there, it's going to run into your rear, right? So it's a good idea. It's a good idea to hit the gas and get out of the way or even swerve out of the way if you have to. So, again, it's all about definitions and who gets to control them. Words matter. Words matter because definitions matter. And if you let the wrong definition go unchecked and unchallenged, you wind up being put into this corner where you're obliging yourself to do something that's completely contrary to the proper meaning of whatever the term of the word is.
1: Yep, I I think uh, you have you've influenced me greatly on on my understanding of what it means to be a responsible driver. And following the traffic laws may be a part of it depending upon the situation, mm-hmm. but there may be times where the the traffic laws um do not uh, they don't fit a particular situation.
0: Sure, and there also there's an element or degree of subjectivity there, and I like to go by things that are objective and incontestable. So my metric for determining whether a person is a good or safe driver is simply, do they or do they not cause accidents? Mm. If you've got a person who has been driving for 20 and 30 years who's never had an accident, has never had a claim filed against them, I don't care how fast they drive. I don't care if they, aggress- if they accelerate, quote-unquote, aggressively. Clearly, they're competent and skilled, and ma- they're making the right decisions behind the wheel. At some point, I think the objective, inarguable record of a person not having wrecked and not having had accidents trumps these hypothetical assertions about how if you drive faster than the speed limit, you might have an accident.
1: Yeah, more, more of the safetyism. Mm-hmm. Eric, we're, we're up against the clock here. Tell people where they can find your website.
0: Sure, it's epautos.com, and as I like to characterize it, it's the web's best libertarian gearhead site. And what I mean by that is it's a place to go if you like cars and if you like politics and philosophy, also if you like motorcycles, or if you just have a general question and not particularly interested in cars as other than a means to get from A to B, but you've got a problem or a question, I'm happy to to try to help you out with that.
1: I learn a lot every time I visit your site. Um, I'm I'm not necessarily a, a gearhead. But I, I really like what I learned. And, and it's uh, this is intelligent discussion, something that is not always easily found.
0: Eric, thanks Thank so much. Thank you, Brian. Much. That's very kind of you.
1: Thanks for being my guest.
2: hmm
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
2: Welcome back to the show. So glad to be join us today. I want to give a quick uh, shout-out to my sponsors, including LifesavingFood.com. You have heard me talking about, uh, of course, the importance of getting your food storage in order, self-sufficiency. Yeah, it makes sense. I think to most people it does. And if it didn't, it's making sense more and more about the day. And I wanted to pass this on uh, Kendall, who is the owner of LifesavingFood.com said that uh, there there, there are major backups right now in the supply chain. And so it's kind of hard to tell sometimes what items are going to be in stock or not in a timely manner. And he asked me to please just mention this to you so that uh, you understand. You can order food storage through uh, lifesavingfood.com, but you need to understand, due to supply chain shortages, these orders could take upwards of a month to arrive. Now, that shouldn't stop you. That shouldn't uh, dissuade you from, from getting food storage and maintaining your food storage program and, you know, building on it and so forth. It's just, uh, th- this is one of the areas, it's, it's finally starting to catch up and people are starting to see, you know, those delays. But if it's time to do it, it's time to do it. Better to get it sooner than later, because uh, later may be too late. You can just click on the link in the show notes at the com, and Tando uh, over take it you me a nice discount too. Still offering that discount, but, oh, this is this is an interesting thing to see developing right in front of us. So let's, let's talk for a moment about heroes. And I know this is kind of a touchy thing, but at least it always has been in the past. time I bring up um, heroes, you know, what, what is a hero to one person may just be, you know, a sacred cow, you know, in the eyes of another. Yeah, 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 you're going you're gonna to tell me about your hero, but... I want to just ask you to consider this. I'm, I'm not saying this is the only way to see it, but does it sometimes seem like, seem like the word hero has been shifted out of its uh, original meaning? And, and I'll, I'll give an example of what I mean. So, when uh, when someone was uh, lauded as having done something heroic, there was a time when that referred to a person who did something extraordinary. Above and beyond what was expected of them. today, they I mean, it was, it was something truly, you know, inspirational. Maybe they did it at great personal risk. It's, it's funny, you know, um, people, people uh, have at least harassed there, They don't even care. They just blow themselves up. They don't even care about their lives. They, they're just suicidal. They, they don't even care. And yet, you look at the Medal of Honor citations for a lot of, like, military heroes. Not talking about talking legit heroes. With zero disregard for his own own life. Uh, with with uh, complete disregard for his own life, he charged the enemy pull box and knocked it out, hopefully you see the point. There, there, there can be a subjective call to heroism, that's all And yeah, to some people, you know, a suicide bomber may seem like a hero. I mean, they throw celebrations for them, you know, some of those cultures where, where, where that's, that's a common thing. Now, here's the other part, though. We've twisted the word hero into something that has, has come to mean somebody who works for the government. And, and I'm talking primarily Hollywood. <clears throat> you look at, look at most of the TV shows or the movies. Who is the protagonist? Who's the good guy? But typically, it's you know, this cop. I he may be kind of rogue. He plays by his own rules. But it's this FBI. You know, it's this spy. You know, it's this uh, you know military intelligence official. But the bottom line is, the state, government, at all levels, has corrupted that word. And we saw this a great deal during the, the second Gulf War, particularly. You know, there's the heroes, the people, the first responders, you know, after 9-11. Everybody who puts on the uniform is a hero. I want you to hear me very closely, because I'm not saying it's all fake, they're all funny. There are some legitimate heroes out there. In their police cruisers, on the fire trucks, and the ambulances, and on the emergency rooms, and so forth. There are some people who, who will do truly heroic things in the course of their, their work. And I think they deserve recognition for that. But simply putting on a uniform and showing up for work, that's doing your job. That's, that's not heroic in and of itself. And, and I understand, for some people that is like nails on the chalkboard. And you're questioning one of the major foundations of, of our freedom and our society, you know. Look at our society, look at our state of freedom right now, and tell me that everything's just great. Oh, it's cool, and you know, it's all good. No, there's, there's some semantics being played here. And there's another aspect of Heroes that uh, is even more touchy. But, uh, I look around, and here I go. Let's, let's talk about this. I've got a great article here from William Sullivan. This is published on AmericanThinker.com. Actually, it's AmericanThinker.com. A culture that celebrates fake heroes while crucifying real ones cannot endure. Now, I had a pretty long setup on this, but I want you to understand this is not about just trying to drag everybody through the mud. It's trying to differentiate between what we once understood to be truly heroic. And by the way, I've got to throw this in here. Sometimes the really heroic stuff is stuff that that, that never makes the newspapers. The family, you know, the young family that is uh, dealing with uh, a mom, you know, who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, and they're trying to make things work, and they're trying to hold it together while while she's fighting a life-threatening illness. This is some really heroic things done there. People who sacrificed to to rescue children from... um, or the foster care system or from, from human trafficking and so forth. So just understand, there, there are some heroic things that are sometimes done very quietly, but just because it didn't make news doesn't make it any less heroic. But let's talk about some of the icons that are developing right now. William Sullivan starts by reminding us uh, that Nike told consumers back in 2018, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And this is the advertisement featured uh, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick Kup- Kup- sorry, I've never said his name right, I don't watch football uh, giving a storied story to those social justice warriors being spurred to buy the company's product. And what may be the swiftest example of the Mandela Effect taking hold on the American cultural psyche Many Americans believe that Colin Kaepernick was, a, was headlong into a promising NFL future when he boldly decided to take a knee during a national anthem in order to protest police brutality. And for this crime against the, polit- the politicians and the status quo, he was ostracized by the racist NFL and its fans. Now Sullivan says the, the broad belief in this myth is a lot more pernicious and a lot more destructive then innocently misremembering <coughs> that the Monopoly man wears a moniker. And he says it's almost certainly a myth. Because the reality is, on August 26, 2016, Kaepernick decided to sit on the bench during the anthem, not near. Oh! And now that you mention it, that, that, that does seem to line up with how things played out. Now, there was nothing ostentatious, in In fact, there was something almost childish about it. Maybe he like being benched for Dwayne Gabbard, who according to what Mike Foss at USA Today was possibly the worst quarterback employed by the NFL at the time, before he goes on to explain that he might have actually been the second worst quarterback, only behind the horrendously bad Kaepernick in 2015. Now Sullivan points out in his article, he says, this wasn't the first time that Kaepernick sought during the anthem. It was the first time that a reporter seemed to have been struck by it enough to ask him about it when asked why he didn't stand, he famously said, I'm not going to stand up and show a and in a fog for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. And of course, the BLM, the, NS, the MSN, and the SJWs rejoiced, of course. There were many critics, but the NFL didn't sense censor or oppress him in any way. They issued a statement saying the league encouraged but didn't require standing for the anthem. And the team and coach supported him and eventually he got a shot in the 2016 regular season and earned about $17 million for his trouble playing in 11 games. Unfortunately, the 49ers only won one of those games, and he went free agency after that terrible season as the league's most inaccurate passer of the previous two years, with nearly a quarter of his passes statistically categorized as off-target passes. That's a very nice way to say that. <laughs> and what followed is a series of business decisions, and... And uh, Sullivan says we shouldn't deceive ourselves to imagine it's anything more. If Kaepernick were a better quarterback in 2017, he would likely have found a professional home as a 29-year-old free agent. Of course, if uh, Colin Kaepernick were a better quarterback in 2016, maybe he wouldn't have sat down, didn't have do the anthem at all. So NFL teams faced a choice in 2017 which could only be described as a catch-22. Should they embrace the circus that comes with rostering this guy, thereby opening themselves to accusations by the media who might suggest that his lack of play would be a function of his political stance or his race rather than performance? Or should they pass on the opportunity to roster such a potentially serviceable, ba- to po- to roster a potentially serviceable back-up that comes with these kind of risks in tow? And Copernic faced a similar business decision. He could either focus on football, and potentially be a backup for a few more years, or he could launch a career as a prominent leader in the popular social justice movement. Both the NFL and Kaepernick opted for the latter choices. The NFL was accused of racism for not rostering him, and Kaepernick was held as a martyr for the cause of social justice. We're going to dig a little bit deeper just the other side of the boat. Please stay with us. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Showing with you an article from uh, AmericanThinker.com. This was written by William Sullivan. A culture that celebrates fake heroes, while crucifying real ones, cannot endure. And this, uh, this is kind of a broader discussion on heroism. I beat this drum before, and I'm, I'm really, I'm not trying to convince you this is the only way to see it. But I am gonna just ask you to consider, what if, what if, the word hero is being corrupted and turned into something that really doesn't reflect heroism? Doesn't reflect, uh, for instance, uh, something that goes above and beyond what a normal human being or a normal person would do. In fact, it doesn't even necessarily apply to, to the human realm anymore. A uh, few years back, there was a story about a police dog that was killed in the line of duty. This was on the Coronado Bridge down um, south of, uh, of San Diego. And the suspect was chased onto the bridge, and uh, his car crashed, and they got it stopped right there on the bridge. And anyway, they sent a canine to, to take him down. And the guy grabbed the police dog and went over the side of the bridge. And that's that's like a 200-foot fall to the water below. The felon, the the guy who, who, the the criminal they were after, he survived. The police dog did not. But the police dog was given this this incredible hero's funeral with full military honors and so forth. And I'm not trying to diminish this dog's death. Please, please, don't be angry with me. But the dog was simply doing what it was trying to do. Got him. That's, I, that's, that's all. It's tragic that this guy chose to try to escape and take the dog with it. It's tragic that this uh, magnificent service animal died. But I don't think the person could make the case that, now, well, heroically, the dog, knowing the risk, still, you know, did its job even though there is a possibility that some harm could come to it. The dog didn't understand, but it was just doing what it was trying to do. And as regrettable as its death may be, why did the state, why did the state of California do the big, full-blown pageantry and military honors for the dog? I, you know, I'm I'm not trying to make you angry, but I am asking you just... Can you think about this at just a little bit deeper level? Back to William Sullivan's article. He's talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick and um, the NFL. And he says, here's the thing. The NFL was accused of racism for not rostering Kaepernick. Kaepernick was as a martyr for the cause of social justice, but here's the rub. Kaepernick believed in a myth... The police officers are gunning down minorities in the streets and that America is a hateful, racist place that requires socialism to absolve it of its past sins. That's the worldview, world of the mindset, that was culturally popular and fiercely defended by much of the public and the government, and nearly all of the media and the academic institutions of the time. Now that idea, however incorrect, was not only popular, but it was clearly gaining steam. Two years later, Mikey inked a deal with Kaepernick that was sweeter than anything he could have earned in the NFL. And four years later, and oh, look at this the NFL hailed him as a hero too And Roger Goodell reached the conclusion that believing in something that made Colin Kaepernick richer. And it could also make the NFL richer. Hashtag me too, son. That was inappropriate. A lot of Roger Goodell's write about that. Time or time, but William Sullivan says, I still contend the NFL's best days are far behind us. In short, however, Capelic had already made millions before deciding to use his learning sports celebrity to launch a career as a political activist, in which he's much more successful than he ever was as a football player. So, no, good move, Tom. That was good. He risked nothing by taking up the position of social and political status, the political status quo. In fact, he got a whole lot richer by doing so. And though we might call that a good business decision on his part, it isn't really heroism or bravery. But you know who actually is a hero? Washington State Police Trooper Robert LeMay. Who actually defied the government and the social status quo and sacrificed his livelihood in order to defend the rights of his individual self-autonomy, and, and by extension others, against the medical tyranny of his state. After working 22 years in public service to Washingtonians, working through the pandemic without a vaccine, the government was now demanding that he inject a vaccine into his body, which undoubtedly introduces unknown health risks in order to mitigate health risks that are known to be minimal for the vast majority of people. he stepped away from a career that could have a very solid retirement. Respect! I mean, he he would be seen. As long as he has that uniform on, he's going to be seen as a hero. He stepped away from it because he wouldn't be forced to take the vaccination. I know there are people who say, it was a showboat and this is all self-serving. Okay, fine. I mean, if if that's how you want to portray it. But when's the last time you stepped away from your livelihood, stepped away from security? Took the rougher road because it was the right thing to do, and according to your conscience. That's a heroic move, even though there are people who strongly may disagree with it. And William Sullivan says, You know who else are heroes? All the other officers in that state and around the country who are doing the same thing. They truly believe in something if it means, even if it means, sacrificing everything. Think about the Southwest Airlines employees who took a stand against the unconstitutional vaccine mandates being threatened by the corrupt executive currently occupying the White House. And the employer that had chosen to do step in sync. They're heroes, they are heroes, they believed in something, even if they meant sacrificing everything, but guess what? Southwest has backed down from the threats to fire unvaccinated employees as a result. Hospital workers around the nation, they worked through the unknowns of the Deadliest Pandemic on this young millennium, and were heralded as heroes. But they believe so fervently in the individual right to make health decisions that they are resisting the mandatory injection of a vaccine. To offset a risk that they know to be infinitesimal for them. Now they're cast as villains. They're heroes just months ago for believing in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. William Sullivan says, these are two heroes, and the vast majority of their names you will never know. I think he has a point here. And the reason I'm showing this with you is because there's a very real possibility you may have to make a similar heroic decision that's not going to make the papers. You know, likely you and maybe some, just a few people in your circle of influence are actually going to be aware of it. But you've got to be that person. As hard as it is, each of us needs to be the kind of person who is willing to lock away from that security, lock away from the adulation, if it means uh, doing the right thing. Kind of a different spin, huh? Owen Sullivan says in a world where I'm to even declare that gigantic and world-shaping figures like Christopher Columbus or Thomas Jefferson are heroes, And our world is the greatest it's ever been for its human denizens and has become exponentially more so in these last few hundred years, thanks to men like Columbus and Jefferson. Versus we shouldn't be surprised that the same influences denigrating our heroes are the ones elevating the voice and visage of Colin Kaepernick. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, unless, of course, your belief isn't aligned with popular opinion, academia, the media, corporate initiatives, or government medical decisions made in your best interest. Now, that would be a more honest campaign slogan for Nike and the Roke legions of America, but it doesn't have quite the same effect, does it? So you saying the truth is that heroes exist all around us. They're not just on TV or playing games for our amusement or sitting in the White House or Congress deciding how to spend your unborn great-grandkids prison talent and wealth. Now, he says in this case, they're ordinary people willing to sacrifice everything because they believe in something. In this case, that something is the timeless principles of liberty, limited government, individual autonomy. Not just for them, for everyone. And while the social justice lawyers may find uh, stu- the social justice lawyers can find strength in Colin Kaepernick, we can find strength in the actual heroes that we see around us. So William Sullivan says, when this moment of government-imposed terror subsides, we can only pray that they may be recognized as such. But to all of these real american heroes, he says, I wish to say, thank you. You give us strength every day so that we might be valued enough to follow. That's the reason I wanted to share this article with you. And I have a link to it in the show notes. I hope you'll check it out. It's not, it's not just, you know, hey, you should recognize maybe you do something for these heroes. It's also a matter of, you and I need to be the kind of people who know where we stand, and are willing to be heroic in our own life. It's a tolerating, and it's scary. Nobody wants to be the one that people are pointing fingers at and saying, I'm going to throw you out, I take your job away. Our show is brought to you in part by great sponsors every day, including the Heather Turner team of Patriot Home Mortgage, Lightsavingfood.com and also the, um, the good folks at modicellacollege.org. Loads to these sponsors in the show notes at the BrianHydeShow.com. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the Brian Hyde Show.